The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Thank you for every person that's in here and for um, all the stories that they bring into this place. Lord, we walk in um, to a place like this on a Tuesday night, having full days and having lots of stuff that... that uh, and either charged us up and brought us in here with a lot of joy or um, uh, perhaps uh, makes us feel weary. So, Lord, we pray um, that tonight that you would speak uh, to us the word that you want us to hear, that you would um, give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, like never before, that we uh, would have a sense that you want to speak to us tonight, Lord, and speak into the, the, the place of uh, difficulty or uh, the place of, the, of doubt, the place of uh, weakness or brokenness, the place of joy, the place of triumph. Uh, Lord, give us vision for you and empower us. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, great to have you. Thank you. Uh, I, always, I just want to say thank you, especially for those of you who are new that have made your way here. I, um, I, I always appreciate that, and I always want to mention that on a regular basis, because I know it's a big deal to come into a new place. And just for us that, that are uh, regulars, we've been here for a long time, just a, a reminder, if you see somebody who's new that you haven't met before, say hi. It's a big deal that they're here, and so we, wanna, we want you, I want you to know if you're new that you're welcome, uh, and we're glad uh, that you made it out uh, tonight. Uh, we hope you can connect with us in uh, uh, various things, whether it's small groups or service or mission or uh, even on our retreat coming up here. Again, I just want to plug for, for the retreat. The retreat often is, is that time when we really, uh, people actually kind of get a sense that that's when it made sense for them. When this became a place that they walked in and they didn't know a lot of people, became then after that, after the retreat, became a place where you had a sense of community, people who uh, could walk with you. And, and so the, the room becomes a very different room when you walk into a place uh, like this. If, it, if you're a stranger, if you feel like, gosh, even if you've been going to UPC for a long time, but you've never been in here on a Tuesday night, uh, it can feel like, a, 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 in some ways, a strange place. After the retreat, often, it becomes a place that, uh, that is full of friends. Uh, again, this is a great t- chance for us, too, to, to, to be a community together. And so uh, I, I'm so thankful for the way that so many of you uh, came, rose to the occasion last year and supported those who needed it. Who were able to, when you're able to give a little extra or even uh, give a scholarship for somebody that it allowed somebody to go that wouldn't uh, be able to go. And I know that certainly uh, there are those uh, folks this year that are in that same kind of uh, situation. So it's a great opportunity for us to be a community um, together. Well, if you're just joining us tonight, we are in a, uh, a series in Romans, uh, Romans 1 to 8, 12, 1 to 8, where we're just, we're just hanging out in, in uh, eight verses. We're going to take 10 weeks to do it. And in fact, it feels like we sometimes could actually, we could take longer because it's so packed. The way Paul talks is that uh, to understand what he's saying, we got we to gotta bounce all over Romans a lot of times. And we actually got to bounce all over scripture because that's what he's pulling on is he's uh, urging. He starts out this letter saying, I want to urge you, I want to plead with you by the mercies of God. And then he goes on in, in these in these eight verses that, that we're looking at. And essentially what he's doing is he says, I, I've been building this argument. I've been building this case. And now in chapter 12, it's going to turn a little bit. He says, this is what it means to actually live this thing out. That, that, yes, I'm assuming that you understand who God is, who Jesus is, that, that in maybe modern parlance that, that you're good churchgoers. I get it. But I also get that you don't really understand what this looks like. 
In fact, I've even heard uh, kind of some of the stuff that happens in church and, and I'm concerned and I, I want to urge you to actually live into the best of what this means because certainly we all know that just because you, you walk into a room and you sing some songs doesn't mean that God has actually done anything in your life. And, and for, for some of you, you're probably wondering, well, what is it? What does faith do? What does Christianity actually do in my life? Because we all got lots of stuff going on in life. We don't have time to waste our time. You're wondering, is this something that can actually begin to, to, to take over my life and give me a sense of direction where I didn't have direction and give me a sense of healing and where I, I know I need healing, a sense of freedom, forgiveness, where I, I know I'm bound. Some of us, I know, are in this spot where we're thinking, man, I've been in church a long, 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 long time. And sometimes, perhaps we've even forgotten what it was like when we first came, uh, and actually first coming to Christ, or we just have gotten so used to getting in kind of the, uh, uh, just the average kind of ins and outs of things. We've forgotten that this is about the God that passionately loves us and actually is alive and powerful and at work in our lives. Well, here's the thing. It, it all starts with a view of mercy. I'm going to tell you, I've loved being in this series because I've discovered something I've never really seen before, and it's mercy. I mean, I've been a Christian for most of my life since I can remember I was five, you know, five years old being with my brother, right? And then I you know, was convicted of my sin, right? Five years old. I've grown up with this, and yet I feel like, honestly, I've never really thought about mercy very much. I, mean, I was thinking about it. It's kind of like mercy sort of like the little brother to grace, right? It's like he, come, he, he come, comes bounding in going, hey, hey, what's up? And everyone's like, hey, have you met Grace? You know, yeah, hi, Mercy, right? But have you met Grace? Right? Mercy's like, hey, I'm in there too, right? But we don't, we don't think about Mercy. Mercy's one of those things that just floods over us. And the thing for me that I've discovered, again, is this powerful sense of, uh, of what Mercy actually brings us into the power of the gospel. I, I, I jumped over it for years and years and years. As I begin to talk to people about mercy, ask questions of, uh, of people. You know, show me, tell me when you've seen mercy, and it's been amazing to see w- what has happened. Uh, some of you who have seen the blog, I, I put up something called the Mercy Project. If you don't want to call it that, I, I don't care. But this is what I want to challenge you to do. Okay, I want to challenge you to actually begin to talk amongst yourselves with your friends, with your families, ask people where they have seen God's mercy. Okay, little stories, not the grand theme, right? If people go, well, Jesus died on the cross, you can kind of go, okay, great, thanks. Anything else? Okay, mercy, little stories of mercy. Where have you seen God's mercy in your life? It's a hard question. It's a difficult question. And I think it's primarily difficult because mercy pulls us into the place where we actually have to be vulnerable. We don't always like being vulnerable. In fact, we don't even like having to admit weakness a lot of times, don't we? I mean, come on. I don't, right? I, I want to pretend like I got it all together. But mercy doesn't allow that. That's why it's, it's, we quickly skip to grace sometimes, right? Mercy asks us to say, to, to describe the place in which we're broken and powerless. The, the place in which I actually couldn't do anything. I didn't know any, that there was any way out. And then I discovered that there was a way out. That there, the way, there was a way forward. That, that, that perhaps the punishment, the, the consequence I knew was coming was actually not... I was going to have to live into that. Mercy takes us to that vulnerable place, but then mercy also then brings us face to face with the power of the gospel where Jesus says, I have come after you not because I needed to at all. 
You don't have any power over me. I'm not compelled to do anything, but because I love you, I will. So here's the thing I've discovered. This is why I want us to think about sharing stories. And so if you, if you want to write a story, if you have a picture that, that somehow captures mercy, if, if you want to uh, share kind of an instance, sort of a, a witness of this, I encourage you to do it on the website. But I want you to talk about it because here's what happens is some people will dodge it and that's okay. And some people, maybe they don't want to share it because they don't quite feel safe enough because it takes them to that vulnerable place. But when people do, it's like the room changes. It's like you can, it's like you, you can sort of feel something like it's, it's stand, your, your hair on your arm stands up a little bit. People start tearing up and, and maybe it's just me. I'll admit it. I cry. Come on. I'm a dad. I'm 37. I don't care what you think. Okay. I cry. Right. But you start tearing up a little bit. Let me, let me tell you a story. So I was uh, sitting uh, in Larson, which is our fellowship hall after a Sunday and I, and I was talking with some folks and. And uh, I, don't, I didn't know them at all. And I thought, you know, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to ask people to do it. I'm going to try it. So, hey, tell me, a, you guys have been, you know, followers for a long Tell me a story of mercy. You know, and so there are different answers. This one lady, I don't even know what her name, I don't even know what her name is now. I could recognize her, but she, she started telling me, she, she thought for a minute. I said, you know what, I actually lost my husband a couple years ago. It was really, really difficult. Um, he was battling cancer, and it was brutal. And, uh... Man, I was fighting like crazy with him. You know, I was at his bedside and he was going. And, um, and I just was so fearful of letting him go and, and what that meant and, and, and being alone. And, and, and I, was, I was so just torn up inside. And then there was this nurse that came in. And she happened to be a believer. She happened to be a Christian. And she actually sat down next to us. And um, she prayed with us. And, um, and suddenly it's like everything... It's like there's something was lifted. And I was finally able to, to release my husband. I was finally able to say goodbye and to bless him. I was finally able to, to be with him in that final moment as he uh, went on to be with the Lord and he died, but was able to do so with a sense of unbelievable grace and peace. <sighs> Mercy. I mean, it's like things get quiet. And yet you suddenly realize that even in the moment of death, there's hope. Even in the moment of death, we don't actually have to be people who fear. And so I want to encourage you to think about uh, sharing those stories with one another, asking those questions. Because when you do, you begin to realize what, a ma- what God is actually doing. You begin to have eyes to see. As biblical writers will say, you know, you, do you have eyes to see, ears to hear? I mean, suddenly you'll see all around that there are at these small acts of mercy that God is actually at work uh, all around us. Well, the first section, the first couple of verses we looked at was uh, essentially, I think there's a challenge out of us to lay it down, to lay our, our life down in view of, in view of mercy, to res- resist the conformity of the world that wants to squeeze us into its mold, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices that, that you didn't think about the ministry of that nurse. She probably didn't even realize she was doing. She probably sees that all the time, breaks her heart. She's in there. She didn't even know what happened. But think about it. She has offered her body as a living sacrifice and was played a huge role at one of the most important moments in the life of this couple. Amazing. That's what happens when we begin to think about taking church out of a building and into every aspect of our lives. Well, we've been reading through Scripture. I'm going to invite you to, to read uh, with us. We'll read through the, the first couple, and then we'll move into our, our next section. So if you'll read with me. Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Here's what we're going to do for two weeks. I think there's kind of another little section for us before we move into the next. And and it's this challenge that that Paul wants to give to say, you've got to belong to more than you. The challenge is to belong for us to more than me. You know, I was looking at this, and and we're going to get into a a section here. We're going to look at the different gifts that we have. And, And a lot of us love... These tests, I love these tests. I, I, you know, there's lots of tests that will tell you, what's your gift? You know, what are you good at? And I think we're all trying to figure out, what is it uniquely about me that I bring? What, what is it that, that, that is kind of where my A game is? And we're trying to figure that out. And, and honestly, you know, a lot of times we figure that out by finding out what we're horrible at. you got to go, whoa, that's not it, right? That's just the way it goes. But we're trying to figure that out. And, and we want to know, you know, is it kind of leadership or mercy or, 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 or encouragement? Or what is it that I can bring into every aspect of life, right? What, am I, what, is I, what is unique about me? We all want to find out what's unique about ourselves. Well, I've done this for years. I, I've kind of t- used these different tests to, to help people figure out uh, kind of their own sense of gifting. But we always jump right to that. We always jump to what is unique about me. And there's all kinds, again, all kinds of tests. Even Myers-Briggs, what's unique about me? How am I uniquely made? And yet the thing that struck me as I was reading through this again is where these, it goes wrong is that a lot of times we never read uh, Romans 1 to 5. Romans 12, 1 to 5, right? Verse 6 begins to talk about different giftings. What we always want to jump immediately to is what is unique about me, but we actually... I. I'm becoming more and more convinced. It's really hard for us to understand what is unique about who we are, how we bring our A-game when it is all about us, when we do it in isolation. I just don't think you can really do it very well. Right? You, you can think that you're really great at something all you want, but it's other people that help confirm whether that's true or not, right? We can think we're the, we're the greatest basketball player or we're the, we're the greatest artist or, 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 you know, it's like... You know, knowing Caleb, right? They bring home art and they're like, look at this, right? And we're like, wow, macaroni and paint. And what? I don't know what that is. It looks dirty. You know, and I just, right? As kids, you want to encourage them. But there's a sense that, you know, we can think that we're the greatest at something until we actually have the opportunity to receive feedback from others. But more than that, some, for some of us, I think probably what we're struggling with is we kind of we might realize that we're really gifted at something, but we don't really want to be gifted at that, right? We look around, and we think, man, I wish I could be, 
Oh, I wish I could have a, uh, a, a gift of teaching. I really want to think I'm a, I'm a good teacher. And, they, and they, you know, maybe some of us, we even, we've even done teaching practicums and realize I'm not a teacher. I don't even like kids. Right? You, you find this stuff out. And, and you realize, it's, I don't even want that. And, and here's the deal, that, that I don't actually think we're going to be able to live into what Paul's going to lead us into here in a little bit with our own gifts. If we don't have a clear sense of, uh, of mercy... Then we are able to accept perhaps what God has given us. That 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 if we're not, uh, if our lives are about something bigger than us, that that our lives are sacrificed. That that we're not conformed in, into the pattern of this world, so that we think that we have to be such and such. That we have to bring certain amounts of things, or we're not really valuable. We're going to get thrown aside. That, that I, I'm going to argue that if we don't belong to more than ourselves, if we don't have a sober view of ourselves, a clear view of ourselves, if we don't actually belong to a body, I don't think we can really live into who we are. Okay, think about this. The only way that you can truly live into the uniqueness that God has given you is if somebody else is doing the other things uh, that you would normally have to do. We, otherwise, we think we have to be everything. We've got to be all things, right? We've got to cover, we've got to pretend, this is where, like, right, job interviews, right? You kind of go, what's your weaknesses, right? And you come up with lame stuff. I tried too hard, all that junk, right? We never want to admit our weaknesses because we want to be totally competent. And yet the truth is, we're not good at everything. We're not good at everything, but we are great at some things. But the only way that you can be released to totally embrace that is if you can trust that Stephanie is going to follow up and do the thing that I can't do very well because it needs doing. It needs doing. But I can't live into the, into the thing that, that God has called me into is if I can't trust and belong to something larger than me. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to think about what does it look like to, to belong, to, to, to have a sense of, of who we are within a wider context. Well, tonight as we look into Romans chapter 12, we, I think there's probably no better, no greater challenge as we think about even uh, resisting the conformity of the world and the pressures than trying to understand who we are. It's not a new challenge. It's actually an old challenge. Um, I mentioned this guy a while ago. It's St. Bernard. I don't even know if you can find this anymore. Cisterian uh, Fathers series. So St. Bernard, 12th century monk, right? He, he's, um, he's over uh, a whole monastery. Well, it happens to be that one of his boys... Uh, if I can say it that way, I'm sure you probably wouldn't like that. But one of his boys gets elevated and becomes Pope, right? So he writes a little book, Advice to a Pope. Can you imagine that? Just write a Pope. Hey, hey, bro, I got a couple things to tell you. Here's what you need to know, right? Can you imagine? Well, he's in this interesting spot where now one of the, one of the guys that he essentially was discipling is now basically over him authority-wise. But here's the thing. This guy is getting conformed to the pattern of this world in such a way in Rome that he is getting destroyed. He's getting destroyed. Man, Bernard, he, he loves the church. He loves Rome. Wow, he actually doesn't love Rome. He hates Rome. He, he's got some bad things to say about Rome, right? I mean, he can't say enough bad things about Romans as a people. Um, but he, what he wants to say is, I want you to actually use your mind. That's what we talked a little bit about last week, is that, that, that following Christ is not shutting off your mind and just going, well, whatever, you know, I'm just following a bunch of rules. No, it's, it's a call for our mind to be set afire. Uh, a blaze to consider to look around that's what bernard is going to um say to his friend eugene look around you don't just take everything for granted 
question everything and choose the best. And uh, especially he's going to say, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider not just kind of your surroundings, but I want you to consider who it is you are so that you don't actually get destroyed because the pattern of this world, the pressures that are trying to conform you are going to tell you to be somebody that you're not. That in the end of the day, you're going to hate yourself if you become that person. Well, I think this task is hard for us because it's really hard for us to actually look with a clear-eyed view, a sober view, as Paul would say, at, at ourself. Right? I mean, it's hard. We, we've all had this experience. I'll just say it was me and you guys can pretend that, it, that you're different, right? You're, you look at yourself in the morning and if you're a guy, you're like, man, I look great. Right? You're thinking you look hot and then you see a picture taken a little bit and you're like, I look like that? What? I do not look that bad. Seriously. It's like I look at my yearbook and I'm like, I look like the skinniest guy ever as I'm running like cross country. I'm not that skinny. It's kind of more built. Seriously, right? It's hard to get a clear view of ourselves and, and who we are. Right? Either, either on one hand, we, we have a view of ourselves that, that is totally inflated, or on the other hand, we, we have a view of ourselves that, that it's just not, you know, I'm so ugly, I'm so out of shape, I'm, uh, all this stuff. Well, which one is it? Well, somewhere in the middle is that clear view. So do a thought experiment with me, okay, as we think about this. Try to delve into this. Okay, I want, let's, let's take this sober language and, and, and run with it. Think about, you know, sitting in a bar. Okay, you're in a bar, you know, it, it's a packed night, maybe it's a Friday night, and you think on, on one hand, you know, you, there, there's that guy, right? It's the guy that everybody hates, the annoying guy, he's sitting and he's just going off. And he's, he's, you know, he's loud, he's obnoxious, you know, he's telling everybody all the things that he's done, you know, he, he's hitting on women all over the place, and, you know, they're rolling their eyes, they're trying to get away, right? It, it's that guy, on one hand... But Paul is saying, don't have this inflated view of yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Don't have a view that, that is so disconnected from reality that you think fundamentally that this is all about you. That the world revolves around you. That everybody is here essentially to serve you. That you're better than everyone else because of such and such a... It, it, fundamentally, it's about being insecure when you think about it. You, you see those people that, that are out there, and they're, they're clearly there only for themselves. They're there to essentially to go into anything, any kind of, any kind of uh, situation and say, how can this benefit me? How can this uh, build up me? Paul is probably particularly driving at this because he's got to hit both the, the folks in the church, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? The Jews go, I got the law. At least I'm not a dirty Gentile. I got the law. And the Gentiles are like, at least I'm not as stuck up and anal retentive as the, the Jews, right? On both, on both sides, they're both looking at each other with this sort of inflated view. On one hand, I got the law. On the other hand, man, I got, I got, the, I got total grace and, 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 and you don't. And so why don't you, you know... You look at it and they just, you fight. It's interesting that um, Jim Collins, some of you might have heard of a book, Good to Great. Jim Collins, he did this huge study and he said uh, he wanted to look at companies that, that somehow had this trajectory that, that went from just kind of average to, to, to substantial, to long-term impact that, that really mattered. And he said, you know, what's fascinating is when I, I looked at the leaders, that 
and what he, what he did in, in the studies, he, he, he found these companies that seemed to stand way out about, and then he found other companies that were, that were close enough to sort of get a comparison so he could get a sense of what was going on. And, and this is what he found. He, said, he found that two-thirds of the, of the comparison companies had leaders with gargantuan personal egos. That's his words, not mine. Gargantuan personal egos that contributed to the demise or the continued mediocrity of the company goes on to say that one of the most damaging trends is the tendency, especially of boards, to select dazzling celebrity leaders and to deselect uh, significant leaders that he describes. He talked about, you know, the, the, the leaders that he saw that led the companies to, to true greatness were the leaders that never made it onto the front of magazines. They were the leaders that, that no one ever wrote about, but it was the leaders that, that came in and said, essentially, I'm going to turn this company upside down. I'm going to change it over. I'm going to change it overnight. We're going to have profits going through the roof. Those are the ones that were always on the front of Business Week and other magazines. Look at this champ coming in. And yet they were the ones that usually tanked the company within two years, again and again and again. This is like an intoxicant, you guys. If you think about it, it happens all the time. I was, I, the intoxicant that feeds into our ego, that tells us that we're somehow we're better than we are, that somehow the world revolves around us and we deserve to have the world resolve or revolve around us. There's a, I'll throw up a, on, the, on the blog, I'll throw up a, this Verizon commercial that is creative in one hand, but it, it hit me one night. I was, I think I was watching some marathon on Hulu, and so I think I saw it about 50 times, and finally I woke up. It's like, I'm annoyed by this commercial. It's driving me crazy. That's a little too revealing for me. But anyways, um, it's this commercial. Maybe you guys, some of have seen it. It's, it's part of the whole new Rule the Air uh, uh, um, series. And, and essentially, it's you know, someone walking down, they're texting or whatever, and like everything around them, right? The building like bursts, you know, bursts out, and there's like satellite dishes, and every, everything around them turns into like a satellite dish with the whole idea that, that we're here Fundamental, like we have all this stuff. Your whole world is going to transform around you simply to transmit what you're going to say, right? My kitty's lost, right? That's we're here for you to rule the air to do that, right? Now I'm not. I, I don't want to rip on texting or anything else. It's fine, but it's just the sense of like we hear this all the time. If only, if only you will use this product, we will help you rule the air. The whole world will get transformed around you. Cars will turn in, will look like transformers and turn into satellite dishes just so that we can transmit what you're saying. Right? That's not true. <laughs> it's not even healthy. It's not even real. George, I actually love this. George gave this great illustration a couple weeks ago. He was talking, it was actually, I believe, a Microsoft executive who was, he was taught, giving, a, I think it was at a business school, and he was giving a lecture, and he realized that everybody was actually not listening to him, but just retweeting that somehow we think that just because we're grabbing stuff and we're sending it out, we're not even thinking about it. We're not even putting our own impression on it. But that somehow that makes us powerful. And no, it doesn't. Or significant? No, it doesn't. Or thoughtful or more wise? No, it doesn't. I'm not against technology in any way, but you've got to begin to look around and say, look at things, the messages that we're getting, and go, really? Come on. Okay, so look, if we're in the bar, we're looking around, there's the obnoxious guy in the corner, going on and on and on and on. On the other hand, though, what, what Paul doesn't go into, but really, if we look around, there's probably also the person that's sitting in the corner, right? Beer by themselves, maybe a couple shots of something, real strong. Look at, looking down... Um, Looking, 
the sense of depressed, that, that, that on one hand, if you can have too high of you, you can also have too low of you. That you can be intoxicated in some way, in such a way that you're stumbling all over yourself. You believe that fundamentally your only value is what somebody else gives you. That really you believe that you're garbage. That probably there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of blame, there's a lot of sense that this is, my, my life is everybody else's fault, like if only they, right? Sometimes we hear this from ourselves and from other people, that, that it's always about the situation that just screwed me. Otherwise, I would have made it. And, but they, they're power, fundamentally powerless, and so there's always a sense of, sense of blame. It was a sociological study that was done uh, recently, and it was really interesting to see the way that even as a culture, we're shifting towards this sense of external realities governing us. We're, we're, being, we're being mastered or manipulated by external realities. Here's what the, some of the studies said. There's been an increase of 50% from the 60s to 2002 towards seeing external for, uh, forces playing a higher role in controlling your life. The average student today has 80% higher external beliefs than those in the 60s. And what this essentially says is the world is out of control. I don't have any power. There's nothing I can do. And so it's, you end up, all you can do is kind of shrug your shoulders. That there's a sense of being totally powerless. And so for some of us, this sometimes creeps in the church in, in an unhealthy way in which we have a false sense of humility, in which it's, we think it sounds spiritual to say, man, I can't do anything, but, you know, God can do, you know, right? We're in the sense of like, oh, you know, I'm just little of me. And there's this false sense of humility in which we feel totally powerless and we don't do anything. For some of us, we, we might be in the church, but we, what we believe about ourselves is, is flat out sin. Because we believe that we're garbage. And we believe that people should then treat us as garbage. And that if I can maybe somehow please somebody else, that's maybe all I, all I can do. It's sin. Because here's the deal, and I think these two things, they hold real close together. Too high, too low. It's like they're on, they're in a, it's on a razor's edge. There's always a lot of blame that's involved. In fact, Jim Collins, when he was talking about these, these leaders that had gargantuan egos, he says what's fascinating about them is that they're always quick to pick up any kind of, anything that has been good that went in the company, any kind of success, they immediately credit themselves as being the number one source for why that happened. Anything negative, anything negative, bad luck. Dude, the economy, great. My board, great. Um, you know, bad employees, great. They always blame somebody else. There's always blame in this. And yet, here's, here's the deal. If we can be able to, to come to a place where we can begin to release control, and I think this is why it's so hard, you guys, so hard for us sometimes to have a clear view on who we are, because we're actually going to have to face the painful realities in our life. We can't blame somebody else. We can't blame what has come necessarily what's happened in the past. We can't blame external realities. It, it means, in a sense, that we that we lose control. Because even if I'm angry, there's a sense that I can control something. But if I can finally let go of that, if I can release that, that perhaps, I, 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 perhaps I can embrace the thing that is right in front of me. What Bernard is going to tell is friend is this. She's going to say, stand firm in yourself. Do not fall lower. Do not rise 
higher. Do not proceed to greater length. Do not stretch to greater width. Hold to the middle if you do not want to lose the mean. And for the middle ground is safe. What that means, though, the only way that you can do that is if you begin to to suddenly believe in something outside of yourself, something that perhaps doesn't actually get you points in this world, doesn't always get you the kind of the immediate uh, payoff. It just it just doesn't. One of the things you'll see in the throughout the Psalms is that there's this, and Paul even talks about this at the beginning of the chapter. He says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel." Or, or, or the psalm writers say, don't put me to shame. And what they're saying is, Lord, if I follow your way, if I follow you, uh, uh, boy, I hope I'm not going to be shown as to be an idiot. How we can, can't we feel that sometimes? If I really believe, if I really believe that I'm, that I'm valuable, if I really believe that I have something really important to bring, if I really believe that I'm beautiful, if I really believe that there is... That, that there is intrinsic value in me and I got gifts that are powerful. If I really believe that, I could be set up for disappointment. So I'm not even going to try. Or can I really let go of the sense that if I let go of the things that seem to give me power, if I let go of the headlines, that I will actually have a significant life? That takes a lot of trust. And it's why we cannot begin to see a, a sober, clear-eyed view of who we are and what we bring until we're able to accept mercies of God. Both you guys are ineffective. In both places, we either advocate our responsibility for the world or, or we end up chasing things that have no lasting impact. But if we can fully lean into a place of grace, God can begin to do things in and through us that truly have lasting impact, real impact. It means, though, that we have to let go of sometimes even... Bernard will actually talk about this later on. He'll say, don't go higher than who you are, but also don't be extended into all kinds of stuff that is none of your business. Essentially, he says this, when the mind is extended into superfluous cares, he talks about height, when a man overestimates himself, depth, when a man discredits himself what we do is we end up spending all of our time trying to have a sense of significance and we end up missing the very thing right in front of us, which is the, it, which is the thing by which we can actually have real impact and make a real difference in which we can actually bring the things that we have. We stop being the people. We stop trying to be something that we're not, that we actually suck at anyways. We finally can be the person who we are. It's a place where we can finally begin to live into a sense of freedom. And not trying to be something else. But it takes us living into grace. Paul says this. He says, look, by the, by the grace given to me, that's my only sense of authority. And it says, going on down, I actually push on this translation a little bit. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Or, or in other translations, measure. And there's a debate in there about, is it the measure that God gives a little bit of grace here, and more grace here, and more grace here? Or, which I think is probably more accurate, that, that when we begin to view ourselves on the measure by the, of the gospel, which means that God has seen who we are, has said that we need help, and has graciously reached out and loved us. That's the measure. And so if we view ourselves by the measure of the grace of God, we cannot look at ourselves and be dismissive. We cannot. We also cannot have an inflated sense of ego. 
Psalm 139, and I'm going to... I'm going to actually read this for you in a little bit. But this is David. And I want to encourage you to read that this week. David talks about fleeing. He talks about there's a sense where he's wrestling with these very same um, dynamics. He said, you've searched me and known me. And then he goes on. He talks about you've hemmed me in. And I, and, and I, I have a view of your mercy because I see that I cannot flee from your spirit. And then I look at you, when I look at myself, I say, God, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. But then he, he goes, here's the deal. I also know that there's stuff in me that doesn't make sense. So he says, search me and know me. Know my heart and test my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me to the way that is everlasting. Lead me to the way of significance. Lead me to the way of making an impact in people's lives that actually matters. Lead me into relationships that are actually fruitful. Lead me into interactions that don't just leave me lonely, but actually uh, I have a sense of being known. Lead me into pouring out myself into things. Work, family, volunteer opportunities. That that at the end of the day, I'm not going to go as a waste of time. Lead me into the way everlasting. The thing about the leaders that Jim Collins would talk about is he said, they never were there to build themselves up. And so because of that, they were actually able to pass on something significant. The companies thrived. They went through the profits went through the roof. But for a while, it looked like nothing was happening because they didn't go for short-term gain. They were actually able to, to, to be able to give a company away. They were building something to give away because they didn't need it themselves. Because when they looked at themselves, they said, I have everything I need. God has poured out his mercy on me. So my job fundamentally is to build something that matters to give it away. It's, it's the model that Jesus gave us. You see, people came at him and they said, we're going to make you king right now. And he said, get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. That, that if you look at his life on, in, so many, it, in one way, you go, it's a total failure. Where did he leave? He left a couple, of, a couple of disciples that were scattered and scared. They wouldn't do anything. He got killed. He didn't lead a revolution. All the other people that said that they were messiahs led revolutions. Revolutions that were completely wiped out. In fact, in 70 years, Jerusalem is going to be flattened because they tried to rise up. And yet, what is endured is this message of this broken, crucified carpenter. Because he led into one thing. He had a sober view of himself, what God has called him to do. He saw him for himself for exactly who he is. He did not get involved in things that did not matter. He didn't get involved in things that, that, that were way down the line. He just said, what is the thing that you've given me right here for this moment? Well, song that I would... Uh, can we bring up those lyrics? I've been, as I've been thinking about... Um, this Dave Matthews song, Bartender, if any of you have heard that, has been has stuck in my mind. And essentially, he's, the song goes on for like 16 minutes in some versions, right? I mean, it's like he's jamming. They're just going off, right? But essentially, it's really, it's, it's, it's just, here's the meat of it is that, that essentially he's in a bar. He says, Bartender, please fill my glass for me with the wine you gave Jesus that set him free after three days in the ground. There's a sense of desperation because he goes, I am at wit's end. I don't know what I can do. And and later on, you get hints that that he's wrestling with a sense of, uh, I've wasted my life. I've become a person that I hate, that that I don't 
want to be. I'm looking for a, play, a sense of, uh, of resurrection. You're not really sure, is he talking about, is the bartender God, is he not? And, and you know, it's Dave, so who knows, right? Then, then he goes on, he says, because here's the deal. Here's the wine that I've been drinking. The, the wine, you see, the wine that's drinking me came from the vine that's, that strung Judas from the devil's tree. Roots that are deep, deep in the ground. The wine that I've been drinking, that I thought was leading to a place of life, is actually something that, that, that has been drinking me and consuming me from the inside out. Give me, give me your wine. Give me the wine that leads to life. So I'm going to have us uh, play a version of it. It's an instrumental version. I just, I just want to ask the question tonight. For Some of us, maybe this is a time just to, just to be quiet and to say, God, what do you want from me? But I want to read some of Psalm 139 and ask, what is it? What's the wine that you're drinking? It, what's the story that you're drinking? Is it one that's consuming you? Is it one that's leading to a place where you, you're trying to make sure that you keep everybody else down around you? Is it one that you always have to win and be ahead? You always have to dominate? Or, or you know you're, you're going to have a sense of you're not worthwhile? Is it a one that's leading to a place where you feel powerless, angry, bitter? A place where you feel unknown? I ask you, just say, Lord, tell me who I am. Help me understand who I am. You made me. I cannot flee from your spirit. I am, I am not alone. But where there is my anxieties are running, Lord, show that to me and free me. So we'll read a bit of Psalm. And then um, let me read a little bit of this. And I'll just give you some time just to think and to ask God what you need to ask him. O Lord, you've searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You hem me in behind and before you've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. And the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that. Full well, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
So Lord, test us. Let us see ourselves for who we are in light of your spirit and in light of your mercy. That we might be people who don't sit by feeling like we can't do anything or who waste our life trying to uphold a sense of our own ego. So Lord, hear our prayer.